As fans continue to celebrate LSU's seventh national championship, you think about all the players that had something to do with this run. And some of the biggest names in there, I, I mean, Paul Skeens was a transfer. Tommy White was a transfer. But you think about Dylan Cruz. You think about Cade Beloso. You think about Trey Morgan. You think about Gavin Dugas and so many more. There was one man responsible for helping architect this seventh national title, and he actually was the coach of the team that won their sixth national title back in 2009. And here's, he's here to talk about it, and a little bit more, former coach Paul Maneri of the LSU Tigers is coming up next on Datitude. If you're looking for the latest scoop and in-depth interviews on the Saints, the NFL, the Pelicans, LSU, along with the best bets of the week, then lucky you. Along with high-powered, in-the-know guests who cover our teams, Jim Derry brings plenty of datitude. And he'll always tell you the way it is, or at least the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my friends out there who thought about going walk outside in bare feet and realized they were stepping on the surface of the sun. It is that gosh darn hot. Oh my goodness, he's talking about weather again. He's just starting the show, but oh my God, I can't stand it. It's miserable. But LSU won the national championship. I'm Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the Times-Picayune, the advocate, and bet.nola.com. And this is the final datitude of the first half of season three. Does that make any sense? Let's just put it this way. When we come back on July the 21st, it's all football, baby. But this is Datitude, episode number 157, for a Wednesday, June the 28th, 2023. Yeah, we've been doing shows on all kinds of weird days. We're supposed to be a Friday show, but, you know, certain days guests could only come on this day or I could only do it on this day or whatever. It's been a weird summer. And uh, I'm about to take my official summer break, and I, you know, people ask me, where are you going for... Summer break this year. We usually go to a beach. Too damn hot. It's just too hot. I wanted to go to Massachusetts to visit my sister, but the plane fares are like they want, they want you to take out a second mortgage to be able to fly somewhere uh, that's further than an hour flight. I can't afford it. It's too hot to go to the beach. I don't feel like going to the beach. I've been spending a lot of time in the gym lately, so that's what I'm going to do. For the next two and a half weeks, I'm going to be in the gym or in my bed. One of those two things. Or I guess at some point I might be playing poker too. So those are the three things I will be doing over the course of the next two and a half weeks. I'll be in my bed, I'll be playing poker, or I'll be at the gym. Probably it. Pretty much it. You don't care. I, I get it. You'd rather talk about LSU? Fine, then. Fine, you don't want to hear about what I'm going to be doing for the next three weeks, and you're not going to have a datitude? Fine, then. Fine. Whatever. Some kind of friend you are. We are going to have 
Former LSU coach Paul Maneri coming up in just a moment. Um, glad to get him. I talked to Coach uh, before Omaha and we tried to get him on, and he said uh, it's a little hectic and that he would come on after the College World Series. A man true to his word, and he's coming on in just a moment. Uh, talking about all co- kinds of things. And again, like I said in the open, you know, you don't realize how many of these players. I mean, they mentioned it a couple times, but it, it wasn't really made that big of a deal, and I think it is a big deal. You know, Dylan Cruz, people wondering if he's the best player to ever play at LSU. Now, that that's saying a lot. I mean, it's certainly a realistic argument. I mean, I don't think it's silly to, to ask the question or say it. He could be the best player ever in LSU history. He's brought in by Paul Maneri. You know, Trey Morgan, I think Trey Morgan was like the last, Paul Maneri's last recruit. We're going to ask him about that. Trey Morgan's been phenomenal. Um, when's the last time that LSU had a first baseman with these kind of defensive skills? And, and okay, a big deal, a first baseman with defensive skills. You think about that play against Wake Forest. You could talk about Tommy White's home run all you want. If Trey Morgan doesn't make that play on the bunt, and I think, what, the eighth inning? LSU doesn't win the game. That never gets to extra innings. LSU loses. Trey Morgan made the defensive play of the year. Palmineri's recruit. Cade Beloso. What a story he's been. He was on this show a few weeks ago. Um, and I've known Cade for a while now, as I told you before. I mean, it's incredible. Almost quit baseball after he tore his ACL. Tigers fans are glad he didn't. He had some major clutch moments. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a kid that likely his baseball career is done. He may get a shot in the minor somewhere. I don't even know if he wants to. I think he's going to end up being a coach. I don't know. He, he just seems like he's got too much baseball in his blood to just give it up. Um, we'll see what Cade Beloso does from here on out. But I, he's probably a guy, he may have put on a baseball uniform as a player for the final time. And if he did, what a hell of a way to go out. Um, Going to talk about him. Gavin Dugas um, from Homa. Another recruit from Palmineri. All these players that were key figures, and there are others, I'm sure, um, again, we're going to talk about it with Coach in just a little, in just a few minutes. But I tell you, man, this was a fun ride. There were, you know, I try not to get my blood pressure up too much anymore when I watch games, but I couldn't help it in this series. I mean, this was probably the most emotionally involved, I guess is the right way to put it, that I've been in a in any sports series in quite a while. I mean, you think about sports around here, I mean, yeah, LSU football was good. Tulane football was good. But there weren't – and that's the thing about baseball. It's every day. I mean, even in basketball, when you play in a tournament, uh, you know, it's, it's twice a week. And then you take a few days off, and then you go again. If you're lucky enough to make the Sweet 16, you play again the next weekend twice, twice in the weekend, and then you go to the Final Four if you're lucky enough. This is different. I mean, there's so much pressure on these kids. It's, it's day after day after day after day. And when LSU's back was against the wall, when they absolutely had to win, they won. You think about the Wake Forest 
games. They, lo they lose on the Monday. Then they got the must win against Tennessee. They win that. And then they got to beat Wake Forest twice just to be able to get into the finals. And they do that somehow in that last game against Wake Forest, which was insane. You got the Paul, you know, Paul Skeens goes eight innings or whatever it is, and they win it in extras. And then you got to beat Florida two out of three without Paul Skeens. You got to do it without Paul Skeens. I mean, how many people would have said, if I would have told you before the series, Paul Skeens isn't going to make a single pitch no matter what happens, and LSU's going to win a national championship, what do you think the chances would have been? I would have said 30% probably, 35%. But yet, they get their butts whipped on Sunday. I mean, 24 to 4. Now, it's a little skewed because you talk about, they were, after it got to about 8 to 3, Jay Johnson was pitching every pitcher that was in the bullpen that hadn't seen the light of day in six weeks. That was a give-up game. When it got to about 8-3, to three, it's a give-up game. You focus on the next day and the winner-take-all game, which is what they did, and it worked. doesn't always work, but we, we set on Bayou Bets Monday afternoon. You know, I almost think it was better that LSU lost Sunday by 20 runs than if you lose a heartbreaker. I think it's a lot harder to come back from a heartbreaker. It wasn't for Florida from Saturday to Sunday, but that was different. It wasn't a winner-take-all. But I think when you're talking about winner-take-all, when you put so much emotion into something, there was no emotion put in anything by LSU on Sunday, except a lot of watching Florida round the bases and shaking their heads and with a lot of confidence, a lot of swag from the Gators. I think the Tiger soaked it in got a little ticked off. Whatever. However it worked out, it worked out to the best for the Tigers, that's for sure. And uh, I think it worked out the best for a lot of people, including our next, our next and only guest today, former LSU coach Paul Maneri. I can't wait to talk to him and hear what he has to say, not just about some of his former players, but what it's like to watch from the sidelines instead of being in that dugout from being in the stands, sitting next to Coach Skip for part of this thing. Let's hear what Coach Maneri has to say. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Datitude, a special Wednesday morning edition. Hoping everyone is having a great morning. And how could you not? It's still, we're still reveling in the fun, the excitement of LSU's seventh national championship. Here with me to talk about it this morning on the podcast is former LSU coach Paul Maneri. And, Coach, we're so glad to have you on the show. I'm sure you're still riding high as well. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm glad to be with you, Jim. And, yes, I'm, I'm really glad to, uh, uh, to be here to talk about the seventh national championship. Dadgummit, that seventh one was really hard to get, wasn't it? <laughs> it took a lot you know, longer than all of us would have hoped. But uh, it was, I was so happy to have been there, you know, with Jay and with the, the players that, uh, that I had coached, you know, or, or recruited and coached and to, uh, you know, just to feel a part of it. In a kind of weird way, it brought closure to my career at LSU as well, to see all those young men, you know, finish their careers with a, a national championship. I was happy to be there. Well, we always like to show the subject of what the show is. But, I mean, does anybody really need to know what the subject is? Of course we're going to be spending the day talking about, or the morning talking about LSU's seventh national championship so glad Coach uh, could join us here. And, Coach, one of the things, you know, you, you brought up how tough it was 
Well, they're not supposed to be easy, right? I mean, the, the, if you win a national championship, very rare. It's not like Georgia that beat TCU in the, in the college uh, national championship football game. That was one game. Mm-hmm. LSU had to, and you've been through this before, so you know what it's like to run through this gauntlet of just, they beat the number one and number two seeds in the College World Series, had an undefeated regional and super regional. I mean, really, things couldn't have gone much better, and they fought through whenever this Tigers team had to win, they won. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem with LSU fans is they're used to Skip, and he made it look so easy. <laughs> you know, he wins five in a decade. So, uh, you know, we're just – it's its our inherent right to just win national championships at LSU. And people don't understand really how hard it is. Um, forget about the last couple games of having to go through the other top seeds. How about the 30-game grind in the SEC in the regular season? How about Absolutely. the 56-game grind of the regular season overall? And then, you know, every team is going to have its peaks and valleys. They didn't have many valleys this year, but they had a couple. You know, they had a couple weekends there that, that uh, you know, they were stunned a little bit. But, you know, you have to bounce back. And, and good coaches can get their teams to bounce back from tough losses. And Jay did that this year. And then, you know, we get to Omaha and have a tough loss out there to Wake Forest. And they bounce back from that. Very reminiscent of the 2017 season when we came back and beat Oregon State twice after they had beaten us earlier in the tournament. Ironically, we had Florida in 17 as well, and boy, we we lost those two uh, close games to them. And you know, it just sticks in my side every day of my life. To be honest with you, Jim, I I, I wake up in the morning thinking about that World Series in 17, and uh, the next day I think it's gone, and I wake up again and think about it again. So. I can tell you how hard it is, and, and it was remarkable the way that we took care of business out there this year. And I'm just really happy for everybody that follows LSU baseball, everybody that loves LSU, people in Louisiana. I'm happy for uh, the coaching staff of the team this year, and I'm especially happy for all those kids that you know we brought in to LSU uh, you know, one, two, three, four years ago. And... Uh, you coached many of them and then got to w- watch them finish their careers with the national championship. I just couldn't be happier for everybody. Coach, you talk about uh, 2017 and how you think about it all the time, and I, I can imagine why. Um, does, you know, obviously you weren't in the dugout, but you're still, you were still a big part of this team. I mean, these coaches, they, a lot of these players are, are guys that you recruited in here. Does this championship help at least take some of the sting away from 2017, especially the fact that it was Florida? Uh, I don't know if it takes away the sting. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that Cade Beloso and I were just texting right now. And I told love him, that kid. I, I said, uh, I'm not sure if I'm happier that we won or, happier that we beat Florida and they, and they lost, you know, (laughs) Um, you know, Florida had a great team this year and they had a great team in 17 and, and every year Florida's going to have a great team as will LSU. So there'll be many more confrontations between the two baseball in the future. Um, So I try not to think about it in terms of revenge or taking away the sting, you know, that moment will last forever when we lost in 17 and, and nothing will really ever remove that. But it was nice to see them win this year, and it was a little added juice that it was against the Gators. Uh, you know, when you played Florida in 2017, I believe Coach O'Sullivan was was fairly new at, at Florida, and now Coach Johnson fairly, you know, obviously in his, what, second or third season uh, mm-hmm. here at LSU. Just, just talk about, you know, 
winning it early, it kind of, you know, you think it's going to happen a lot. You can't take anything for granted, coach. I mean, you know, a lot of times, especially when you went to LSU, I mean, you just think it's going to happen every year. You got to take, you got to enjoy the moment, right? I mean, you never know when you're going to have another chance to do this. So I have a lot of experience in this, you know, how hard it is. Um, you know, we won in my third year. My second year, we went to Omaha. My third year, we won. And we didn't have the advantage, you know, back then of transfer portals and things like that to fill immediate needs. So, you know, we had to grind our way through it. But my third year here, we won it. And, and we had a magical team put together. And, you know, those kids were awesome. They were totally dedicated to the cause. We, we believed from the first day we met as a team in August that we were going to win the national championship. I told Jay the other yesterday morning in the hotel lobby before we got on the bus to head home, I said, uh, can I give you a little bit of advice in the aftermath of winning a national championship? I'm going to give you a couple of pieces of advice. I said, first of all, you and I both know it's not easy to win a championship. But people will think it's easy. The fans will think it's easy. The media will think it's easy. But your players will start to think it's easy, too. And even on occasion, your staff might fall into that mode to think, oh, you know, we're LSU. We're going to find a way to get there again. And you lose a little bit of that edge. And you got to find a way to keep that edge. You know, um, I, I told him also uh, one of the things that happened to me that caught me off guard was just the the unbelievable um, demands put on your time after you win a championship. You get invitations to speak at every event known to mankind in South Louisiana. And I said, I didn't have anybody filtering those for me. And so I just said yes to everybody. And there were days when I spoke at, at breakfast, lunch, and dinner on the same day, because you're trying to help out charitable causes. You're trying to be a good community servant and share the joy with everybody. But what happens is when you run yourself ragged doing those things, you know, that, that little bit of edge that you had when you were trying to get to the mountaintop, you know, that extra conversation with a player, being there for early work, to work on the little the little fundamentals with the kids, sometimes you, you missed out on that stuff and it, and it becomes cumulative. And then you're not, you don't feel like you're as in control as you were the previous year. So I said, you know, I gave him a garden on that, you know, to be selective in the things that you do because your priority still has to be to work with the players. And, um, you know, he was, he appreciated those bits of advice. I wish I could have won another national championship. So I would have been able to implement that for myself in the following year. But, you know, Jay's life will have changed forever now. Um, he's always going to be known as a national championship coach and that's great stuff, but it also, increases the demands later on. What kind of advice did, did Coach Skip give you when you came in? <laughs> to win. <laughs> <laughs> Easier said than done, my friend. <laughs> I, 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 uh, uh, I never realized the standard until, <laughs> until I talked to Skip, you know. No matter what you did, whatever you won that day, Skip was always, you know, that was a good win, Paul. But, you know, there's bigger fish to fry down the road, you know. So. Coach, was it was it tougher for you then? Because, Co you know, Coach Skip was 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 the AD and part of part of this university still. I mean, now he's retired and is still around. But, I mean, it, he was always there. I mean, and trying to live up to, to something like Skip Bertman, and we saw Sk Smoke Laval couldn't do it. I mean, you won a national championship. But how hard is that to have him there? 
it, Jim, it wasn't hard at all for me because I embraced them. You know, a lot of people when I was, you know, remember I came here from Notre Dame. A lot of my friends at Notre Dame said, why would you want to go do that? You know, you're going to be in Skip's shadow. He's going to have proprietorship over the baseball program. You know, dotty, dotty, dotty. And I, I would reply to them and say, listen, that's why I want to do it. Not right. why I don't want to do it. I want to go where the standards are high, where the resources are good, where the where the fans love the program. You don't have to convince them that college baseball is important. But you can't speak out of both sides of your mouth. You can't say, you know, give me this great traditional program. Give me all these resources. Give me access to the best kids. Put us in the best conference. Give us a great facility. Give us great weather. Hey, but don't don't expect too much out of us. Right. You know, come on, that that's that's ridiculous. So you when you when you come to LSU, you have to understand what the expectations are. You have to embrace that. And having skipped there, I didn't look at it as a negative. I looked at it as a positive that he could give me great advice. You know, you asked what kind of advice. I, I couldn't stand here in an hour and tell you all the advice he gave me through the years, you know. But he was never overbearing. He never forced me to do anything that I didn't want to do. He just gave me little suggestions here and there, and it was wonderful. I accepted it happily, and I loved having him around. Jim Derry with Coach Paul Maneri here on this Wednesday morning. The last datitude before we get to football, we're going to take a mini hiatus after this is over. We'll be back on July the 21st. Uh, just a little break before we get into football. So I'm gl so glad to have on our last show before we go into football mode, talking to Coach Maneri about baseball and his, uh, you know, there are a few people I'd rather talk baseball about with Paul, than Paul Maneri. Um, you know, Ron Maestri is one of them. I, I went to, I was the uh, sports editor at, at uh, I went to LSU and then transferred to UNO. And uh, being the sports I. editor at UNO, you know, Ron Maestri is one of the legends in, in this state. You know that. You're good friends with him. Well, when I, when I uh, came to LSU as a freshman, I, I was from Miami, Florida, Jim. And um, LSU, you know, obviously had a big brand name, not necessarily in baseball, but you know, Pete Maravich and the football program and everything. And I grew up a huge LSU fan just because I love Pistol Pete and I love yeah. the LSU play football games, you know, Mike Miley at quarterback and so forth. Jones. Anyway, um, I came here as a freshman, but at that time, the baseball coach, who was a wonderful man by the name of Jim Smith, he was, his full-time job was he was the equipment manager for the football team and he coached baseball in his spare time. So it shows you that there wasn't much of a commitment to challenging the That's players right. or pushing to, to greatness. So coming from a, the family I grew up in Miami with, my father was a legendary junior college coach and coached a bunch of future major leaguers, won national championships, you know, that type of thing, winning his junior college coach in history. Man, I wanted to be in a program where it was really going to challenge you. So I went back and played for my father in my sophomore year. But after my sophomore year, my eligibility was up, so I had to find another school to go to. And just by the grace of God, I ended up back in the state of Louisiana, found a coach at the University of New Orleans, Ron Maestri, that I absolutely adored from the minute I met him. And it was the greatest thing I ever did for myself personally because uh, Ron Maestri became, outside of my father, the single greatest influence in my life. And he mentored me because I knew I wanted to be a coach. So I could watch him daily. And even though I had a great mentor, the best mentor in my father, Mace was that that second father for me, that second father figure that I learned an awful lot from. And honestly, I don't think two weeks go by over the last 40 years since I played for him for 45 years. I don't think I've ever let two weeks go by where I haven't talked to him on the phone at least one time. He's been a tremendous asset for my whole career. 
Well, that was one of the highlights for me when I was at UNO for sure, along with just being lucky enough to be there when Tim Floyd was a basketball coach. So uh, some some good moments back at UNO. That was a long time ago, though, Coach. Long, long time ago. It was a long time ago. <laughs> a lot of things have changed, unfortunately, you know, uh, for the University of New Orleans, the population, the enrollment has dropped. Indeed. And so forth. But I think Blake Dean's done a really great job I agree. with the limited resources that he's had. And I'm very proud of that, of course, with Blake having been one of our players on our national championship yep. team in 09 and we remained very close. So I think he's done a terrific job and, and I'd like this, you know, wish, I wish that the fan support would climb again, like it used to when we were in the late seventies, you know, we were, we were packing them in and we had a great team and, and uh, it was a lot of fun, but yeah. And then the mid eighties, they, you know, 84 going to the, the college world series. So uh, there, there were some heyday and for the UNO privateers back then, yeah. I want to get, I want to get, let me interrupt you. Go ahead. Realized that UNO went to the College World Series before LSU ever did. That's right. Yeah, and we were disappointed in 1979 that we weren't the first team to go, but Mace went in '84, and we were all, you know, very proud of that. But that school will always hold a very special place in my heart. Coach, uh, I want to talk about some of the players. You know, you you touched on it earlier, and obviously, it's a big piece of this this championship team, and you know. You weren't just sitting there in the stands, you know, watching because you're the former LSU coach. I mean, these players, I mean, you know, almost half of these players and a lot of the big names, the Dylan Cruz, we talked about Cade Beloso, Trey Morgan was one of your last recruits, Gavin Dugas, uh, Travinsky, you know, Malazzo was one of your guys. Just just talk about what it's like. You know, these kids that you have a relationship with and you brought in and you got to watch them grow. You know, I was lucky enough to cover, I was, you know, until about two years ago, I was covering high school sports for a long time. I got to know, cover and know Cade Beloso very well. I got to cover Trey Morgan. Uh, you know, I got to cover Joe Bear. And, you know, these kids are, to watch them grow up just as a, as a sports writer is special. I can't imagine what it's like for you as a coach to have that, that tight relationship, especially with a guy like Cade and Trey who are just... Just such cool kids. Charm, charms of kids, yes. Well, you know, Jim, my, my whole coaching style for my four decades of being a coach was not just to bring them in and move them through. You know, I invested in their lives. You know, that was what I enjoyed about coaching. I wanted not only to help them develop as baseball players and collectively a, a championship team, mold a championship team, but I wanted to see these kids grow as individuals and become productive adults that were ready for the challenges that life was going to throw them. And the lessons that they learned through their experience of playing college baseball are certainly a great way to learn about how to handle adversity, how to handle success, how to work as a team, how to make sacrifices for the good of the bigger picture. You know, all the lessons that you as a coach would espouse to try to teach young men. And um, this, this group of kids was no different. You know, when we recruited them when they were 16 or 17 years old, you got to know them, you got to know their families, you brought them to school, you watched them have successes, you watched them stub their toes, you watched them, you know, taste the fruits of victory, and you you, you saw them, you know, lose confidence in themselves when, when adversity struck and all those kinds of things. So, you know, it's a journey. You know what I mean? It's it's it. Every everything that happens is a life lesson, and I like to think that I taught them some of those life lessons growing growing through the program. So you know, the first um, well, you take Dylan Cruz's freshman year, Dylan and Trey, and um, 
Jordan Thompson and Ty Floyd, you know, several, Travinsky, Malazzo, no, no, Travinsky and Malazzo, excuse me, were the class before. But when when Malazzo and Travinsky and that group were freshmen, we had the pandemic year. So they never played in an SEC game. So the next year when Cruz and those guys came in, and now we're back to playing the SEC schedule. Well, that was the first SEC games that literally half our team had ever seen. And, um, you know, we had times of struggles. You know, we didn't have a stellar regular season record. Um, you know, I was going through some some real physical issues personally, you know, with, with uh, my neck. I had to have a couple surgeries on my neck. And I didn't feel, you know, physically great. And, and because of the surgeries, I couldn't be engaged with the players by throwing batting practice or hitting fungos and those kinds of things. Um, I couldn't even, you know, have as many meetings as I would like to have individually with the players because everybody was wearing a mask and had to sit right. 10 feet away. We had all the protocols that we had to deal with. So that for that year that they came in, you know, it wasn't it wasn't an easy year. You know, we, we, we fought through it. We finished strong. You know, we got the bid to, to Eugene, Oregon, and we won a regional. You know, so that, that was – that really, I think – laid the groundwork for these kids to understand what it took to be successful individually and as a team. And so, you know, I've been out now for, you know, the next year I was out, which was, you know, the, you know, Cruz and those guys, it was their second year. And now this year as, as juniors and, uh, you know, almost for sure their last year at LSU because they're going to go into professional baseball. I look out there on the field and I see them as mature adults you know, they arrived as children, as you, as adolescents almost, and now they they leave, you know, as adults, and they're they're ready for any challenge that comes their way in life or on the baseball field. And you know, when you when you're older and you're more experienced, you're more confident, you're more consistent. You know how to handle the ups and downs better because of the experiences that you've had, and to watch them go out there and play as well as they did on the biggest stage. You know, I felt a little bit of part of it, you know, because, you know, the growing phase that we went through with them. And they, they were so great to me. You know, all the players, the coaches, the, the fans were so warm to me when I was up there. And it, it really made me feel good from a personal standpoint that they included me. You know, I flew back on the team plane. I spent a lot of time talking to the players when I was there. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, from a personal standpoint, it kind of brought closure to my LSU career, you know, even though I retired two years ago and people think that was the closure, you know, when you still have the players out there that you invested so much in, it, it's it's hard to stay away. It's hard to be away, you know, and feel, you know, removed from it. So I was really happy and as happy as anyone. And I was so happy for Jay that he got that championship. And, you know, like I said, he, he joined the, the the club, you know, and they never can take it away from him. They can never take that away. That's right. Jim Dara here with Coach Paul Maneri on Data, the Datitude Podcast on this Wednesday morning, June the 27th. Uh, we got about probably 10 or 15 more minutes with Coach. If you want to leave a comment or a question, I've shown a few on the screen here, but you feel free to do so if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube. You can leave a comment or a question, and I'll be glad to show it, and we can ask Coach uh, before we let him go. Um, Coach, I... I want to ask you, you know, you talk about closure, and I know how tough that may be. You know, I've been let go and brought back four times in my career. I mean, it's, a, it's not an easy thing to, to be sitting there watching people do what you love. You know, how hard has it been for you to, to – and I know when you retire and you, and you say, you know, it, it's, 
this is this is it. I'm ready to, to step on into the next life or whatever. But how, how tough has it been to, to watch sometimes? Tough, Jim. Um, you know, I, I had three years left on my contract, and I thought I would coach to the end. And um, I had every intention of doing that, except, you know, I was mentioning about this physical challenges that I have. Contrary to what anybody may believe, it was 100% my decision. Um, and, you know, so I voluntarily left the job that I love. And uh, I, all I ever wanted to do in my life was be a college baseball coach. And then ultimately, I got to coach at the best place in America, uh, LSU. And I, I was proud of every stop I had along the way. You know, the little school in Miami, St. Thomas University, United States Air Force Academy, Notre Dame. But to culminate at LSU was it was nothing I ever aspired. You know, I just loved coaching and loved working with players and loved molding teams, whether whichever institution it was at. But I had this wonderful opportunity presented to me by Skip when he was the AD. Uh, I had turned down several other opportunities to come to the SEC or Big 12, whatever, but nothing appealed to me. The only thing that I ever dreamt of while I was at Notre Dame, the only school up for which I would have even considered leaving was LSU. Well, how often do you get offered that job, you know? And I got it offered to me. So I never took it for granted. Every day I loved it. I, I, I gave it everything that I had. I loved the players. I loved the fans. Criticism never bothered me because I looked at the fans and said, I would rather them be critical than apathetic, you know? And believe me, every day I just wanted to send them home happy and I wanted to win championships. And we won a lot of championships. We just only won the national championship one time, you know, and I know that's how LSU fans many times measure you. But um, in every sport, coach. Yeah, I know, sport. and that and that's okay, you know. And I and that's one of the reasons I wanted to coach at LSU. But I'm proud of the one we won, and I know that we had other teams that were good enough to win. But you know, you have to have luck. You have to, you know, have good breaks. Uh, you have to play well at the right time. You know, you have to get the job done. Your team does, and we didn't. You know, we finished second once and other teams, you know, great teams with Bregman never won a national championship. And those things stick in my side and, I, and it's hard to let them go. Um, but, you know, when you when you do something that you love for so long and then you voluntarily walk away from it, it it's it's hard to 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 sit back and watch and not feel like Man, I wish I was still doing it. And I've dealt with that for a couple of years now. Um, I've had opportunities to get back into coaching. Um, you know, Notre Dame offered me to go back a year ago, and this year, University of Miami showed a lot of interest in me doing that, but I pulled out of it, you know, before they ever even offered it to me. Um, but it just, you know, once you coach at LSU, I don't know where else you can go and be happy. And so I'm, I'm kind of coming to the conclusion now that uh, I'm probably done as a coach unless something crazy happened, and you never say never, but... Um, it's, it's been hard and, uh, I've, I've been playing a lot of golf. I play with the grandchildren a lot. I'm getting really good at carpool pickup, you know, Too hot coach. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to figure out the little secrets of that, but I, I feel like I still need to find something that's purposeful in my life besides that. And I don't know what it is. I, it hasn't hit me yet, you know? Um, but now that this team won this national championship, I, I really feel like I said, because the players, the majority of the players that I recruited and coached are transitioning out now, will probably go into professional baseball or have graduated, whatever. So, you know, not that I won't still love LSU baseball, not that I won't still be their biggest fan or 
fan 1A and 1B with Skip, you know. Um, it, it'll feel a little bit different because I won't know the players as much. You know, there'll still be a handful of guys, but not as, not the core of the team. You know, do you realize, Jim, when, when Floyd's pitching or Gavin Guidry's right. pitching, somebody that I recruited or coached, Nine of the ten players out there were kids that I brought to school right. here. The only one I didn't was the third baseman who came in as a transfer. So, you know, you, you can't help but feel a, a tr- tremendously close connection with them and relish in their successes and be disappointed when they had their failures. So I think it's going to be a little bit different for me going forward, and hopefully I'll be able to adjust to a retired life a little bit better. Coach, the you know the the rumor before you backed out of it was that you were going to be the Miami coach, and uh, you know you, you you decided that you didn't want to do that. What led you into even entertaining the thought of possibly, uh, you know, obviously Miami is a lot like LSU and and with their hit with their history as well. well um, I grew what, up in Miami, Jim. I grew up down there. I grew up three miles from the campus, and I don't mean this in a bragging way about myself necessarily, but my father was the toast of the town in college baseball down there in the 60s and 70s. And he passed three years ago, and as, you know, generations go by, you know, memories start to fade. And one of the, my motivations was kind of to resurrect his name a little bit in baseball circles, get people talking about him. Hey, his son is now the coach at the University of Miami. I grew up there. I have a lot of friends still there. Um, they called me. I didn't search it out. You know, they called me. And I just felt, hey, you know, what do I got to lose to go down there and talk to him about it? So I spent a day talking to him about it. They asked me to come back the next day, which I did. But as, you know, a few days went by and they hadn't offered me the job, I just kind of lost my enthusiasm for it and um, just decided, you know, I didn't want to be away from my family because all my family was going to stay in Louisiana. Yeah. I would have had to go down there by myself. And I didn't really want to do that. So I, I called them and just told them that, to take me off their candidate list. I, I wasn't going to do it. And I'm happy that I got to Omaha in time to watch the championship. It didn't take long for rumors to get out there though. Did it? I, I didn't, I wasn't aware of those. Oh, yeah, they were all over the place. They were all over social media. We, 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 we no, I, yeah. you know, I, I try not to pay too much attention. Good for you. Good for you. It, it probably is the best thing for me to. Unfortunately, not. I have to coach. I have to watch all this stuff, you know? So, but uh, we, we're glad you're staying in Louisiana. Coach, uh, talk about Jay a little bit. And, um, you know, he, he's he's a little, I don't, I, it's, these are contradictory terms, but he, he's a little subtly brash, if that makes any sense. You know, he, he gets his little, he says what he needs to say, like, you know, kind of here, here's my punch, you know, you, you take it. But uh, I, it's an interesting style of coaching, and it certainly worked this year for the Tigers. Well, First of all, Jim, I, I wasn't Skip. I'm not talking about results. I'm talking about I couldn't be Skip Bertman. Right. Skip was his own unique kind of coach. I didn't coach under Skip. I didn't play for Skip. I was never going to do anything to just intentionally be different than Skip so that I could blaze my own trail. I told you earlier in the show, I, he gave me a lot of advice, and I gladly accepted it, okay? But I couldn't be Skip. And when Skip talked to me about coming to do the job here, I had to make sure that he and I were in agreement with that, you know, that, you know, I love him and I respect him. You know, he's the greatest coach in history, but I just couldn't be him in the way that he did things every day, you know, and called pitches or offensive strategy or, you know, recruiting or whatever, whatever it was. Okay. I had to do it the way I knew to do it best. Well, Jay can't be me. Jay didn't play for me. Jay didn't coach under me. 
He has to be himself. And I totally understand that, and I want him to be himself. And what he is as himself is a really good coach. He had great great success at Arizona and Nevada before he came here. And he needs, and, and when he came here, the first day he got here, first of all, you know, I gave his name to Scott Woodward as a potential candidate. I didn't name him the coach, but I, you know, Scott asked me, you know, for my opinion about different people, and, and I gave him names, and, and I brought him, Scott uh, brought Jay's name to Scott's attention. Um, and I, it's a long story why I did that, because, uh, but I, so I won't go into it, but just, I did. So when he arrived here, you know, I thought, man, what a great situation for a new coach. We had a great foundation. I told everybody at my retirement press conference, we've laid a great foundation here, and I think the team is ready to win championships. When you have Cruz and Morgan and Thompson and Dugas and Beloso and all these other guys, hey, man, this team's ready to win right away. You, then the coach before you didn't get fired. He didn't leave for a better job, and he's going to live right here in Baton Rouge. And also in Baton Rouge, you got the greatest college coach of all time living here. And both those guys are so willing to help in, in any way that we possibly can. So Jay, Jay had a great situation, I think, to walk into. And even still, as I, you know, he asked for advice or whatever, he had to be himself. So Jay, Jay listen, he's, his, some of the things he does would be a lot different than the way I would do things. I'm not saying he's wrong and I was right or I was wrong and he is right. Everybody has their own way of doing it. And ultimately, you get judged by the results. And, and he's done well so far. And so I think he's doing a terrific job. He pushed the right buttons all year. And, um, you know, the players that played for me, that played for him, they like him. And they, they uh, you know, they, they like the way that he manages the team. And I'm happy to know that. Coach, he obviously has been open to you being around the program. Uh, with you seeing you around as, as much as you have been, you're on the field after the after the game, and we showed the picture of you hugging Dylan Cruz, and and we have pictures of you hugging other players. And so, obviously, Coach Johnson has has been more than happy to have you around the program. That's got to make you feel good. Well, you know, when I came here, people thought I should, you know, like administrators that work for Skip would would come to me and say, "Look, we can keep Skip away," you know whatever. And I'm like, no, I don't want right. you to keep him. Right. I, the man built the program here. The man can go wherever he wants to go. The players will know who's in charge now and not in an arrogant way. I don't say that in an arrogant way, but I, I know how to manage people. And I know these kids are going to know that I'm the coach. It's not a, a, an issue. Well, I think Jay has the same feeling. He doesn't feel threatened by me. I, I, if anything, I was the one that was more conservative about ever going around because I didn't want the players to be confused right. by who was in charge now. I didn't want Jay to think I was looking over his shoulder. So I purposely stayed away. He's wanted me to be more with him than, than I was wanting to do or willing to do at the beginning, you know? So I, it, it's, listen, someday when you're retired, Jim, and folks that watch your show are retired, they'll understand that it's a, it's a different feeling that you have, you know? You did something your whole life, going 100 miles an hour. You you invest your everything into it, and then all of a sudden it's over, and you start to wonder if you have any purpose in life, you know. And you know it, it's a it's a gratifying thing when you feel that the person that replaced you respects you, is welcoming to you, will listen to you, even if they don't do the things that you advise them to do. That's their prerogative. 
but just to know that that you're welcomed around is a is a wonderful feeling really you ever thought about going into tv doing some color analysis or a radio booth or anything like that you know a lot, when i retired a lot of people told me i should do that but i didn't want to make a commitment to do anything honestly yeah. I, I needed to just get my health back in order and just relax after going so hard i just thought the best thing to do was not to do anything well, that didn't last really that long, you know. I got pretty bored pretty quickly. How much golf can you play, right? Absolutely. So this year, um, I, I I didn't go put myself out there. I didn't like make you know let people know I wanted to do that and try to promote myself to do it. But one day I got a phone call out of the clear blue from a play-by-play guy named Jason Patterson mm-hmm. that was going to do the Florida State at Virginia series for the ACC Plus. And um, he called me up and he said, I can't think anybody else I'd rather have be the color guy. The coach at Virginia was your pitching coach for nine years at Notre Dame. The coach at Notre, uh, uh, Florida State was the coach at Notre Dame the last three years. And you know him, your son worked for him. Um, would you come and be the color man for this weekend series in Charlottesville? So I thought, yeah, I'm going to do this. First couple innings, I was a little bit, you know, not smooth, I guess. Yeah. But after that, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I did. And you realize you're just talking. I, and I got a lot of positive feedback from people. They, they said they learned a lot about the game by hearing it from a coach's perspective. You know, people are all up, up in arms because the runner got thrown out at home plate. Well, I would explain that that was a good coaching decision because with two outs, you have to take a chance at make the other team make the play because if you stop them at third, now it takes a two-out hit to score a runner. So coaches want you to send that guy. Well, I would get feedback from people, you know, like that example. Oh, I never thought about it that way, you know. So I enjoyed doing it, but I only did it the one weekend. Maybe maybe that's something I'll do in the future. I don't know. I will tell you, Coach, on a much smaller scale, I, I've been a play-by-play guy now for about a decade on the side. And I do uh, a bunch of high school games and some Loyola games. Uh, so if you're if you're ever bored... Uh, if you're ever want, looking for something to do on a, on a weekend or something like that, we'd be, we'd love to have you just, just come hang out and just talk baseball for, yeah, for I might a couple take you up on that someday, Jim. Thank uh, you. before we let you go, um, I just want to, you know, I want to, I want to tap into your emotional feelings of what you were feeling Monday night, you know, and, the, and then I'm obviously the game it was obvious LSU was going to win fairly early on. And I mean, as you get closer to the end, I mean, what is the difference between being a coach and being in the stands as far as your own personal emotions? Uh, it was a big difference. I, I can't deny that. You know, when you're, when you're in the dugout, that means you've been working with the players every day. You're talking to them every day. You're going through the ups and downs with them, trying to get them in the right mindset. You're making a lot of decisions that are going to affect the outcome of the game. When you're sitting in the stands – you know, you have emotional tie to the players and to the coach and to the to the school, but you know you can't really affect anything. You know, you can't affect the outcome of it. So it's a much different feeling. Um, I, you know, when when it was apparent that we were going to win, it was like the seventh or eighth inning. I was sitting up in Scott Woodward's uh, box with him and the pre- and President Tate and Kim Mulkey and and uh, Kaylee Hardtongue and a few other people. You know. Um, you know, I, I asked Scott, uh, you know, if he was going down on the field after the game, and he said to me, yes, and I want you to come too. But I was very reluctant to do it because I didn't want any spotlight to be on me. You know, I wanted it to be on the guys that just did it. 
But, you know, when they when they rushed the field, I actually stood in the dugout during the last three outs in the bottom of the ninth in the background. And when they rushed the dugout, you know, I mean, rushed the mound and dogpiled, you know, I, I stepped out of the dugout and just stood, you know, leaned against the fence there, you know. Anyway, I, as I was standing there just watching from a distance, you know, I could hear the fans yelling to me from behind me, but I pretended I couldn't hear them because I want to turn around and start waving at the crowd and of course. bringing attention to me, you know. So um, anyway, I was just planning on staying right there. But then what happened was the media started to move out towards the field, and they were all in foul territory outside the first baseline. I couldn't see anything, right. anymore, you know. So I figured I'd just kind of casually walk up and, and, and kind of intermingle there with where the media was. Well, then what happened was Hayden Travinsky saw me and he sprinted over and gave me a big old sweaty hug, you know, for it lasted about 30 seconds. And then Gavin Dugas saw me and he ran over and he hugged me. And then Cade saw me and he came up. So now I figured, okay, well, I might as well just go, go ahead and out and greet all the players. And then I got to go, I wanted to go, you know, congratulate Jay as well. And we did that. And, so it, it was fun. I felt I felt a part of it, but somewhat removed, obviously, you know, because I, w- I wasn't out there every day working with the kids. But I, I again, I got a great amount of joy out of it. And I'm just so happy to, for really everybody that loves LSU baseball. Um, you say never say never. You you think you ever might get in the booth? I mean, might get in the dugout again? <laughs> well, like I said, I've had some opportunities to do it. I, I either didn't feel ready to do it or didn't feel it was the right situation. Um, you know, I'll be 66 next or in August, Jim. So the yeah, clock- we had the same birthday, by the way, when I was doing some research on you. We both born on Katrina Day. I know it. I, I try to keep my birthday hidden until you just blew it right yeah, there. Well, sorry. Sorry. Not- uh, yeah, I suffer through it every year. So It's not a date that, uh, you know, people around here hold in very high esteem. So I don't try to share my birthday with people, but... Um, you know, I'll be 66 years old and, you know, the clock's ticking, but I, I don't feel 66. I feel, you don't look 66. Really? No, I don't feel it, you know, and I feel great. And, uh, so you never say never, but there's, there's very few places that I would even consider going to. And one of the things that's a factor for me too, like I mentioned was, you know, I have three children, three grandchildren, my wife, everybody's here in Louisiana you know, all four of my children ended up meeting their spouses in Louisiana. Just goes to show, you know, you have tough decisions to make in life, and you don't know if you're doing the right thing. When I left Notre Dame to come to LSU, boy, this is going to really impact my family. You know, it really fragmented my family because in South Bend, I had a daughter going to to Notre Dame. I had a son that just graduated from Notre Dame, was going to work on Charlie Weiss's football staff. I had a son in in, in high school. I had a daughter that was uh, at Ball State. And by me coming to LSU, it was like sending all of our children away at the same time uh, to college. But except for my youngest son, I, he wasn't in high school yet. He was only in fifth grade, I correct myself. But, um, you know, they, but then what ends up happening is they all come down here. They meet their spouses down here. They live down here. They love it. They're all doing well. And um, so now for me to go coach at another college, I'd have to leave them again. Right, right. I don't, I don't want to do that at this it's, point. Yeah, now. and I hear you because, I mean, I, I just had a grandbaby last week, my first, uh, uh, last week, so I'm, Congratulations. I'm, I'm getting up there. So it, it, it would be very tough to not to be around my family. John Parrish says, 
I had something very similar happen to me and everything coach said about the transition from active to retired is absolutely true. Coach, I'm, I'm sure when you, you know, when, when you're retired, you think about things that you think about life differently, I would imagine as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, what, what has happened for me, Jim, and I don't mean this in any kind of ragged way, bragging way. I've been the most fortunate person I know. <laughs> I wanted to be a college baseball coach from the time I was 14 years old. That's when I'd made my decision. You probably made that decision that you wanted to be a, Very a, early, yeah. a, a microphone guy, you know, when you were young. And I got to coach at four amazing institutions. I got to do it for 39 years. Uh, I never got fired. We had a lot of success. Um, you know, I got to support my family and, and I kept my family very close to me. And, and I love the players. I, you know, I've had literally had hundreds of former players that I still stay in touch with. You know, they, they'd like to spend time with me. Uh, you know, maybe they didn't like to spend time with me when I was coaching them, but, but now they do. I play golf with Mason Katz and Mike Hollander and, you know, Buzzy Heidel and all these guys, you know, all the time. And, you know, so I've had a wonderful life. I really have. And I, I just feel very, very blessed. The friendships that I've made, people like Ron Maestri um, coming into my life, Tommy Lasorda, I had wonderful parents. My mother's still alive, thank God. But, you know, she, you know, it, it, I've just had the greatest, one, most wonderful life that you could ask for. Sometimes I, I, I get, I, I always think there's more, you know, there's, that's probably because of my nature as a coach, no matter what you accomplish, you always feel like there's more you could have done. And, um, you know, I gotta, gotta get out of that mode a little bit. I, I gotta lose that little bit of my DNA and just be, you know, enjoy the moment, you know, and just enjoy life and, you know, do the things that I want to do now. And, uh, so I don't know if, if I want to go back to coach, I want to do something, you know, just to, feel a little bit more purpose, uh, but I don't know what that is. Your health okay now? Your health, health is great. No, I feel great. You know, uh, I've got a little bit of a stiff neck today, but it's it's not the painful process yeah. stuff that I had before. But I have a 65-year-old neck. It's not 25-year-old neck, so I'm sure I got a little <laughs> arthritis in there. But um, overall, you know, I, I just am so great. My, my point is I'm just so grateful for everything that I have had in my life. And, um, you know, I said 10 years ago, if, if I never won another game as a coach, I could walk away and be proud of what we, we had done, you know, and I got to do it for 10 more years after that, you know, right. and, you know, and I feel the same way about if I never made another friend, I have so many great friends, I have a wonderful family, grandchildren, four grandchildren now, I've been married for 40, going on 44 years. So I've had a good. But the time. next show we do together, you're going to have to tell me the secret about that because, you know, I, I, I'm in year uh, 15 and it's tough, Coach. It is. It's, it's tough. You're going to have to well, tell me. The I'm sure. I'm sure being on the road a lot, recruiting and traveling with teams probably helped our yeah relationship a lot too. Sure. <laughs> Made it special when you're when you're home. Last question for you, Coach Maneri. You know. It, like like you said, we talked about earlier how tough it is to to get that one and to enjoy it when you get it. Um, how close is this team? I mean, obviously things are going to change. There's going to be a, a whole bunch of new kids here at, in Baton Rouge next year. How tough is it going to be to win it? Or I guess to say, do you think this team has a chance to win it again in the very near future? <laughs> I told Jay that, uh, you know, when he first got here, 
I said, Jay, when we won the championship in 2009, I think it was the third question in the post-game press conference. Of course. Can you, can you repeat yeah, here? So, you know, I found out that it was very difficult. Uh, we never won another one. Um, but we had great teams, Jim. You know, we were not including my second and third year here when we went to Omaha and won the national championship. We were a national seed nine more years. Yeah. <laughs> we, were, yeah. We, we were in the hunt every year. And... I found out that, you know, there's a lot of other really good teams out there in the country, you know, and a, one little break here or there can change the the dynamic of your entire season. And um, I, I can't predict what's going to happen. I, I do think that the, the transfer portal and the, and the NIL have changed things forever. And I, I, I think Jay will always be in that transfer portal and, if there's, you know, some perceived weakness on his part, you know, of the team that he'll be able to go, you know, find somebody to plug that hole pretty quickly. Now, I didn't have that luxury when I was coaching, you know, you had to recruit it. Well, junior college kid, but that was hard to find, you know, all the time. Um, but, you know, you pretty much had to go through the growth of a player. Not everybody showed up like Dylan Cruz or Trey Morgan ready to play right from the start and, you know, as though they were still in high school. So, you know, it, listen, I think we're in good hands with Jay. He's, he's a obsessive recruiter and, um, you know, he knows how to judge talent and he knows how to manage a roster, you know, to manipulate the scholarship money here and there to, to make it work with only 11.7 scholarships. And certainly right. the NIL money is, is helping. I'm sure that we're taking full advantage of that here. So I think they're going to be a force every year. Um, I think every year the attitude will be Omaha or bust. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be another championship or two or three down the road. I, lie, I, lie. I really don't want it to take as long as it took to get from six to seven. It's Yeah, Coach, you know, people just don't realize how tough it is. And the expectations in Baton Rouge are, uh, you know, they're, they're a lot different than most places. Not every place. I mean, just like if you live in Tuscaloosa, you expect to win a football championship every year. If you live in Athens, Georgia, you expect to win a football championship Florida expects to win championships and everything. It's 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 just not as easy as people yeah. think it is. And uh, but nobody else has the fan following that we have in the sport of baseball. You know, we led the nation in attendance for 25 years or something. Yeah. And um, you know, we're now with the seventh championship. We're in second place. You know, we we broke the tie with Texas. Uh, our sixth championship tied us with Texas. Our seventh put us ahead. Uh, now Southern Cal's next. You know we got to get to twelve to catch. Yeah, five more. Yeah, That's but Southern Cal, not to diminish their, that accomplishment by them, but they won theirs. You know, back when not many teams were taking baseball serious, right. and um, now there's just so many good teams out there, and you know, especially in the SEC. And when you add Texas and Oklahoma, I mean, you're gonna have sixteen really good teams. That probably the six, sixteen of the twenty best teams in the country are gonna be right in the Southeastern Conference. So. You know, it's, it's not going to be easy going forward, but certainly LSU's brand is the number one brand in all of college baseball. Well, Coach, before I let you go, I just want to, you know, I don't know if you played with him or not, but a guy that, that played at LSU uh, back around the time when you were when you were there, um, Robert Roden, I don't know if you remember him or not. Yes, I do, and I, I'm very saddened about his passing. He was a teammate of mine at LSU when I was there as a freshman. He was uh, a colleague and a, and a dear friend of mine, and uh, – 
you know, so the this whole thing, I just thought, you know, he, he passed right before the College World Series. Mm-hmm. I just knew that his, his he was there with his team mm-hmm. because he lived, breathed, and, and just talked, especially during baseball season. But he lived and breathed LSU, and it, it was it was Great special to, to feel feel him there with us. So I don't know if you knew him or not, but I wanted to bring his name up during the podcast. Absolutely. Had some communication with him over the last several years, you know, and uh, I was very saddened, you know, when, when he passed, but he, he lived a good life and made it a great impact on a lot of people. Well, coach, you've made a great impact on a lot of people too. And uh, I know that, that LSU fans were glad to hear, you know, your stories about, you know, just, not just the guys you coach, but just being a part of this program. It's so great to see you out there and uh, to, for you to be able to share and all this. I, I think it's wonderful. And uh, we hope to see you for around for, you know, maybe five, six, seven more championships. Who knows, Coach? So. I mean, we, we can dream, right? I hope so. That would be wonderful, Jim. I want you to enjoy your little vacation, okay? Thank you, Coach, and thank you for joining the show. One of the great things about this job is um, being able to talk to all kinds of different people, mostly local, uh, whether it be former coaches, uh, media guys, former players, you know, just we, we have been very blessed and lucky throughout the course of 157 episodes to have some wonderful guests in the show. And I'm, I, I'm really am. I'm not just saying this. I'm not just blowing smoke. I'm, I'm, I was excited to have uh, Coach Maneri as one of those guests, um, you know, and especially as we end this little I guess you call it the first half of season three. It's not really a half. It started back in, um, I guess, mid-February, early March. It was right around the time Derek Carr was coming on, I think was the first episode of season three. That seems like forever ago. And it wasn't that long ago. It just seems like forever ago. Uh, So many things have happened in Louisiana sports since then. About the time that the LSU women won the national championship in in basketball. And, um, you know, you never know. You never know when, you're, when your team is going to get a championship of any sort. And I've said this, I've said this recently. You know, you think about the, the Saints. And in 2009, uh, well, winning it in February of 2010, winning the Super Bowl, and there's no way. I mean, I thought this team, that team, this team, that team, whatever it is, it's a completely different team now. But I thought it was destined to win multiple Super Bowls. I mean, who couldn't have thought that? And they should have. They had a better team in 2011. Um, you had the Minneapolis miracle in the 2017 season. You never know what's going to happen. You had the no call, which, by the way, I meant to say this in my monologue. I watched that game again last night. Why, I have no idea, but it was on, and I couldn't stop watching it. I'm still pissed off uh, just to watch that call. And then I didn't even realize, like a couple plays later, they throw to Michael Thomas. Uh, Breeze gets hit. And Michael Thomas, uh, illegal contact, no call there either. So, I mean, it's just, that game is just mind-boggling. And to think, there's no doubt in my mind, the Saints go to that Super Bowl, they win it. So, but the, the point is, you never know if and when your team's going to have another chance at a championship. Coach Maneri talked about um, just getting back to Omaha but not being able to win another one at 2009. And LSU fans... Sometimes, like any major college's fans probably, are sometimes unrealistic. He didn't say the word unrealistic. I'll use the word. I use it all the time. Sometimes, you know, it's like 
look, I, I love playing poker. It's my thing to do. I, a lot of people, you know, I play golf a little bit. I do some other things. But my main thing outside of work is, is poker. And when, you play, when you're playing in a poker tournament, you can be the best poker player. Doesn't mean you're going to win the tournament. It's, it's not any different in something like this. I mean, you've got to be, in, in, besides being either the best team or one of the best teams, you've also got to be incredibly lucky. You have to have a sequence of events go your way. And what happened for LSU, it kind of went their way, right? I mean, they had to earn it. There's no question in my mind they earned it, but they also got a little luck along the way. As great as that play, and I brought this up in the monologue in, in the beginning, as great as that play was by Trey Morgan, how often is he going to get a chance to do that? Just pure instincts. If he had the chance to do that play 10 times, how many times is he going to be successful doing that? How many times is that guy going to be out at home plate? Maybe twice. I mean, let's be realistic. As good as Trey Morgan is, how often is that guy going to be out at home plate? And I'd say twice, maybe three times. And if they, they don't get that play, they never make it to the, the College World Series championship uh, series, uh, finals. It's Wake Forest in Florida if they don't get that play. And then Tommy hits the home run, and great. I mean, LSU moves on. But you think of all the things that has to happen for your team to win a national championship or to win a world championship in the pros. They have to go incredibly right, and you have to have a little bit of luck. And LSU baseball had that this year. The LSU women's basketball team had that this year. Had they had, what would have happened had they play, had to play South Carolina again? We don't know. Maybe they would have won. Maybe they wouldn't have. But it's just things. And I don't take anything away from anything the LSU women did. I don't take anything away from what LSU baseball again uh, did this year. But what I'm saying is enjoy it. Enjoy it when it happens because you don't know if it's ever going to happen again or how long it's going to be before it happens. I mean, I'm 54 years old, about to be 55. I think I'll see another LSU baseball championship. I think I'll see an LSU football championship. I hope I see a Saints Super Bowl. I hope I see a Pelicans championship, NBA championship. There are no guarantees I'll see any of those things. No guarantees. So whenever you get one, enjoy that. I mean, I'm a Cubs fan, for God's sake. You know, in 2016, they won the national, they won the national championship. They won the, the World Series championship. I think they're going to win it again. How can this team not win it again? Soon they're broken up, and now they stink again. You just don't know. Enjoy it when it happens. Enjoy it while it, while it lasts. Um, and never take a single game or a season for granted. And don't be unrealistic, you know. And it goes both ways. Don't poo-poo on your team if they don't deserve to be poo-pooed on. LSU's pitches sucks. They're never going to win anything with this. Oh, my God, they're the greatest thing ever. Find a middle ground. <laughs> Find a middle ground. And as we go out and close this Midway point of season three and about to turn our attention solely to football. And I go off the grid for about two weeks or so. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going off the grid. I'm going to spend time at the gym. I'm going uh, to be in a swimming pool. I'm going to be in my bed. I'm going to be watching TV. I'll catch up on, on Netflix, Apple TV, who knows. But uh, not going to be working. I need, a, I need time away, as you all do, I'm sure, from your own jobs when you take your vacation. But... Uh, I thank all of you, and I say this every now and then, and I don't say it enough probably. I am so thankful for the regular listeners especially, um, and there are quite a few of you out there trying to get this show to grow. It continues to grow 
Um, people like to listen to me rant for some unknown reason, especially um, when it comes to Saints. And, you know, we'll be Saints and NFL coming up in about three weeks because training camp is about to start. I thank all of you for listening. I hope you enjoy uh, the next few weeks of summer before we talk to you again. Stay out of this daggum heat. And how else should we go out than play the song that describes an LSU championship? What do you play when LSU wins a championship? There's only one song to play. Saw it live in concert, not in Baton Rouge. Saw it in New Orleans, but I can imagine it's pretty good in Baton Rouge, too. Garth Brooks calling Baton Rouge. We are calling you to come back on July the 21st. That will be our next show as we, uh, again, shift our attention to over and unders, win totals, NFL previews. Coming up in just a few weeks as training camp begins. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the next few weeks. And we'll talk to you on July 21st. Peace and love, my friends. Hello, Samantha, dear. I hope you're feeling fine. And it won't be long until I'm with you all the time. But until then, I'll spend my money up right down to my last time. Go home and Baton Rouge. Ah, for ready, won't you put me on through? I gotta send my love down to Baton Rouge. Yeah.